Listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Zero Dark Thirty. My name is Tom Chick. I am here this week with Christian. Uh, I think it's Malinsky. Actually, you can just refer to me as PCM. <laughs> and with a Zero Dark Thirty tagline, Kelly Wan. Uh, negative two taupe, 34.2. I think I liked it, but I didn't get it, Kelly Wand. I didn't get it, but I loved it. <laughs> uh, before we discuss Zero Dark Thirty, um, does anyone have any... Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit about how This Is 40 was, the movie? Um, it was about ten more than Zero Dark Thirty was. <laughs> Uh, when I went to see Zero, or no, not Zero Dark Thirty, I went to see another movie this week, which I'll tell you about in a second. Uh, there was an older couple in front of me, and they, uh, the woman was buying tickets on behalf of both of them, which is very progressive of them. She gets up to the window and she says, uh, two seniors for This is 40. And the woman behind the, taking the ticket said, I'm sorry, ma'am, that's sold out. And the woman was like, oh, darn. And she looked up at the, the list of movies to see what she could see, what they were going to see next. Didn't consult her husband. She was fully in charge here. She looked up and she said, well, then two for Tom Cruise is Jack Reacher. <laughs> <laughs> and then as the woman was getting her, as the ticket lady was giving her the tickets, the older woman said to her husband, oh, I really wanted to laugh at something. <laughs> Uh, and having seen Jack Reacher, I, I think she, she she got exactly what she wanted. Uh, Were you with in, in? Was she in the movie with you? Uh, yes, she was in the movie. I did go see Jack Reacher, and parts of it are laughable. It's mostly just bad, um, but parts of it are laughable. Here's what I would say about Jack Reacher: if you are like a hardcore red stater, uh, Jack Reacher is for you. Uh, it's as far as action movies goes. It's like trashy action movies. It's got all this stuff about like gun ownership and uh, and and how the legal system really, you know, how defense attorneys really should talk to the victims of crimes and think about what they're doing and about how it's okay to kill a bad guy if he's done a terrible thing. It's very pro-military culture. So this paranoia about the government tracking you. Um, it's very uh, sort of right-wing comfort food, I think. Um, I just figured it was like Zero Dark Thirty, but dumb. Uh, I, well, you know, maybe we'll get into that in, in a moment. Uh, so we all saw Zero Dark Thirty at a theater here in L.A. I don't know if you guys saw this. Did you see, parked in front of the theater, the Reacher Mobile? What is that? The bus? That's, no, he drives in the, it's in the trailers, too. He drives this really sweet red 1970 uh, Chevrolet Chevelle SS. I and thought oh, he gets Oh, okay. I thought that's what, I, you know, I saw that car parked out there. Yeah. And some guy hanging out next to it, and I wondered if that was for Jack Reacher. That's the Reacher mobile. Yep, yep. Although it's not, he lets it go, like he stops driving it, and then. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's definitely not the one in the movie because the one in the movie gets thrashed pretty hard. Uh, so it, it's it's maybe one of a couple. You know, like there are several sharks in Jaws. There are probably several Reacher several Reacher mobiles uh, in Jack Reacher. Um, so here's here's a bit of dumbness from Jack Reacher. I'll tell you about. Uh, you guys aren't going to see it. I can spoil it, right? Um, even if I see it, I don't give a shit. How's that? 
Uh, well, you know, okay, in this case, I won't tell you the specifics. I'll just tell you at one point he pulls a gun on a bad guy and he wants information from the bad guy. He really wants the bad guy to tell him something. So he says to the bad guy, holding the gun on the bad guy, he says, my birthday's in October. When I get to it, when I get to it, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> now, now, the moment he said that, I was like, well, wait a minute. I don't. Are they going to sit there the whole time? Is he going to then look for the guy uh, on later at that date come October? But then he starts counting. He starts going one, two, three. And I Wait, realized, is he counting oh, days or months? I, the bad guy figured it out pretty quickly because before he even got to three, the bad guy talked. Oh, October, wait. <laughs> Well, but slow me down. I'd go. Wait, how long do I have? Well, you would have. You would do that whole thirty days has September, yeah. April, June, and November. You'd have to do yeah. that. They should he wanted. I'd be going. Wait, this brain teaser is consuming me now. And if you, that would be a terrible thing to do if your birthday is on the first of of any month. By the way, I don't recommend using that. that. Is he, or is he going? He's doing the days of the month of October, so before he doesn't know which of the 31 days. So, Kelly, here's how it works. Let's say that you have information I need. My birthday is on August 14th. So I come to you, Kelly Wan, and I say, I hope I put a gun at you, and I say, my birthday's in August. When I get to it, I'm going to shoot you. One, two, three, four, five. You don't know when my birthday is. So you're like, damn, is he is he a Leo? Is he a Virgo? You know, what part of August is right. Yeah. Is he doing the hours or the minutes or the days? <laughs> when when's your birthday, Kelly Wand? November. November. Yeah. What day is what I was asking? Oh. I can't give that out on the internet, isn't that? You guys both have late November birthdays, so if you were to do that, the bad guy I, I hope I'm not ruining it in case you ever need to call information from a bad guy, but you guys would give somebody a lot of time if you were to do that job. Mine's the tenth, so I would go Whoa. Oh, okay. That's late November. If so you would rather be interrogated by me than by yourself. <laughs> Wait, I'm confused. What's the information I have? What day it is? Uh, the information when my actually, birthday is. Uh, the, the information that Jack Reacher's trying to get is who are you? And he's asking this. He's asking this of Werner Herzog, by the way. What? <laughs> yeah, Werner Herzog plays the villain. Uh, well, when Werner Herzog lies, does he hurt him? Uh Dingus, why aren't you saving that for the other parts of the pod? Let's get to the... Dingus, what movie did we see this week? Well, this week we saw Zero Dark Thirty. Mm. And 30 is spelled out, I'll have you know. It's not um, three zero. It's not it's zero, zero spelled out. Exactly. And so is Dark. Dark spelled out. It's not blacked out. So this week we saw Zero Dark Thirty, a 2012 American action drama thriller history first-hand accounts movie. Mm. About the decade-long hunt for U-B-L. Mm. I thought it was O. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with all that. It's Obble, not Ubble. It's U-B-L. Deal with it. Okay. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> and written by Mark Boll. It stars Jessica Chastain, Jason Clark, Jennifer Ely, Joel and Nash Edgerton, Rita Keteb, and Mark Duplass. <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty is rated R for strong violence, including brutal, disturbing images, and for language. Weak violence is like Bambi? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or Ernest. Uh, so we don't have any uh, box office figures for Zero Dark Thirty because it hasn't opened wide yet. It's in five theaters in the U.S. right now. Uh, it'll open wide January 11th. Um, I think... I think I can go ahead and do this. I would normally not want to tip my hand this way. But I, I'm assuming you have not seen Zero Dark Thirty. I'm assuming you are not 
the odds are you're not one of the folks fortunate enough to have been able to see it yet. Uh, I, I think I would like to tell you not to listen to this podcast yet. Uh, so if you're listening, if you haven't seen it yet, if it's before January 11th, uh, get we out of here. listen to the Battleship one. Yeah, fast forward to our 3x3. Three three. We've got a fun 3x3. Three three. Uh, <laughs> Are they going to be able to listen in two weeks, Tom? Uh, you mean to this podcast? Yeah. Yes, we, yes, we will leave this podcast live, and uh, we will leave it online for you. So come back. Uh, I, I think I'm going to do one of those rare things where uh, don't listen to us blather about the movie until you've seen it. I, I Wait, encourage and, you to see no, it. That's no, that's not what I meant. I meant our, our show in, in a couple of weeks will be our top ten show. So I was trying to get you to extra tip your hand. I'm not going to do that, Dingus. I'm on to you. Uh-huh. Nice try. Uh, so that's just for me. I don't, you know, I don't know if Kelly Wand or, or Christian Mazinski endorses that. But uh, me, Tom Chick, I'm telling you, get out of here. Go see the movie uh, and then come back and listen to us talk. Uh, but before I actually wait, hold on, hold on. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Just a second. Let me just tell you, on Metacritic... <laughs> where which gauges the uh, which gives you the percentage of review oh no no which gauges hold on let me let me start Stay go, come back we, <laughs> I know you wanted to leave but you want to hear these percentages of the movie you haven't seen yet then Metacritic, you can leave Metacritic Metacritic throws all the ratings from reviews that use ratings into a big bucket and it does math and it averages them out and we say Zero it. Dark 30 has on Metacritic it's at 95 on Rotten Tomatoes, which simply gauges the percentage of all reviews that are positive, Zero Dark Thirty is only at 94. Oh. All right, now That's you can leave. Enough. Now we're done with you. That's enough for math. Kelly Wand, what, <laughs> what's going on? What, what do you, are, are, do we have a Zero Dark Thirty synopsis? I kind well, of- I wrote, I only had time to write a couple words down because the movie was too short. And, uh,. I didn't have a pen on me, so I'd use blood. And so, so what would you call this then if it's not a scenario? Oh yeah, a zero darksis. Rock and roll. Let's hear the zero darksis penned in blood and only consisting of a couple of words. And who, who's blood? A zero dark thirtsis. This is blood. Crankin'. Uh, Bryce Lynn Howard hires some stormtroopers to shoot Osama bin Laden's roommates. The end? And- <laughs> A Christmas from Kelly All right. Well, no, that's, uh, that's succinct, uh, muscular, economic. Yeah. Laconic. All of those things, Kelly Wand. Uh, all right, well, I've tipped my hand. Good Lord, I was so taken with this thing, and I want to explain why in a little bit. But first, uh, what did you guys think of this? Kelly Wand, uh, why don't you go first? What, what, do you agree with me that people should not listen to us blather about Zero Dark Thirty until they've seen it themselves? Yeah. Although, we're just, I mean, it'll just make them want to see it more, won't it? Depending on what we say. All right, so you, you would be I, well. Some I'll, people like it bothers us, but I don't. I I wonder sometimes if most people aren't like us, and if they hear a bunch of spoilers, they just not go. even spoiler wise, because I think one of the challenges that a movie like Zero Dark Thirty has, which uh, <laughs> kind of against all odds, a movie like Titanic also has, is that everybody knows what happens. You know, you know what's coming in the end, but I think there's a lot more to Zero Dark Thirty than just spoilers. Uh, I, I think it's sort of an experience. It's a process. Uh, and I'm I, just, I go ahead. 
I'm bummed James Cameron doesn't have a movie this year, so she doesn't pitch him <laughs> twice at the Oscars. Uh, Dingus, are you with me? Like, uh, what? What uh, do you want people to get out of here and not listen to us talk about Zero Dark Thirty and just see it and then come back? Um. Yeah, I got to be with you. I think it's unbelievable. And I think you calling it a process is a really good way to put it. Because uh, the the way it gets where it gets is phenomenal. It is a phenomenal experience. And I avoided for a long time the trailers, as as I do with all trailers. And as, as you were leading up to this and saying everybody should get out of the room, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, you know, like Argo, it's it's something we already know what happens, but it's such a great experience that you really have to be there for the whole thing. For It's got one of the best payoffs I have ever seen in any movie. And if you're really going to enjoy that payoff, and maybe enjoy is the wrong word, but if you're really going to experience the payoff properly, if you're going to experience it properly, I think, yeah, I think you got to get out of here. So uh, assuming we're all like... I, I, I was just so taken with this, and one of the things that I really liked about it, um, independent of the payoff, I mean, the payoff, by the way, was so fortuitous in that, you know, they were going ahead with this, Osama bin Laden still hadn't been found, and this was just going to be the procedural about looking for him. Uh, And I think what we would have gotten would have been more akin to, um, I think, of a movie like The Conversation, which has this this frustrating ending and the end the frustration you feel at the end of it is, is part of the overall experience um, but because shortly before I think this went into production and, and I know they rewrote it uh, specifically to incorporate material about the raid at Abbottabad uh, it became a very different kind of movie and a very different kind of experience uh, because we actually did uh, find and kill Osama bin Laden uh, so this story got a conclusion. It was not going to have this frustrating conversation like like William Friedkin or, or 70s cinema kind of ending. Um, well, it puts a bit different spin on everything, though. Cause absolutely. Because uh, I remember reading or hearing that, oh, torture, we weren't, there was no result, there were no results we were getting from it. Like, it was statistically... You know, I want to table that, Kelly Wand, because okay. I definitely yeah. want to touch yeah. on that in a minute. But So here's how I would describe... Um, I think one of the most, I, I think, surprising things about the movie for me uh, is that it didn't have a, a sense of opinion on what it was showing. It was just a straight-up, fly-on-the-wall procedural uh, with, with no exposition, no moralizing. Uh, it, it lets the audience come in and have each person has their own opinion about what they're seeing. Uh, and I loved how kind of dispassionate it was in just showing us how this worked, you know, what people were going through, uh, just like a procedural. I mean, that's, that's a perfect word for it, I, I think. Um, but unlike other procedurals, it does have this, this payoff that you mentioned, Dingus, which, yeah, I mean, one of the, I, th- I think it's just as far as like movie making, it is one of the most satisfying and amazing payoffs. And it draws so much from how Catherine Bigelow shoots like weird different kinds of action sequences and how she's done it ever since Near Dark. Uh, and she most recently did it in Hurt Locker. Um, it, it's just such a such a satisfying conclusion to a dispassionate 
procedural. And that's kind of what surprised me, is to show something that is such a part of the national consciousness that we all, of course, feel strongly about, but not to moralize or preach about it. And, and specifically, you mentioned the torture stuff. I, I want to talk about that in a little bit. Um, but how, how it, it showed torture and kind of didn't have an opinion on it. Uh, I, I, I loved the way the story was told. Uh, I wondered part. afterwards if I felt shortchanged in not seeing a better shot of the body in the face. Oh, I think it was perfectly cut around. Okay. I, I love the way that was cut. And I also, I, I feel, Kelly Wand, uh, rather than being shortchanged, I feel that gets to the, the point of the movie. The yeah. movie was not about Osama bin Laden. The movie was about us. I know, but I, and it was about her. And I just wondered if, if we had a shot of his face, like how we would have felt like her. Well, well you know, it's because it's about her that we focus on her. Sure. And, and it's and not just about her too, but be, uh, you know when when we actually took out Osama bin Laden and the uh, the the team took pictures of him, uh, Barack Obama specifically decided not to release those pictures. Right. And, and I feel that is partly. I mean, that's that's part of the point of how we've come through this process. Is it's it stopped being about him. You know, it's about us. It's about sort of trying to get to a satisfying conclusion to our experiences as a nation, as viewers, uh, and in this movie, as an investigator. You know, it wasn't about him. But it's a movie, that, and it puts you in the head, it puts you in, the, in that copter and in, on this mission, and they see it. You know what, though? But it's not, in, in certain ways, right, right, they, they see it definitely, but it's not, we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily seeing through their eyes. You know, I, I think it's it's very important too that we never hear about her background. You know, we don't know. Oh, she lost someone when the twin towers collapsed. We don't know. Oh, you know where she was on nine eleven. Nobody ever sits down and talks about his or her experience in this movie for the, for the most right. part. This is not that kind of movie. Like Alien. Uh, we are not told, for instance, what that child's drawing is next to her desk at the office in Pakistan. Um, yeah. And I love that. I love that because I, I kept thinking the movie. This is one of those movies. And, you know, Dingus, I, I hear you talk about this sometimes when you watch movies. I kept waiting on it to make a, a misstep. I kept waiting on something to go wrong on her to sit down and have a speech about having lost her father in the Twin Towers. You know, I kept waiting on it to do something pedestrian or expected or usual for it to fumble something. I was even a little worried about getting to the raid at the end. OK, it's going to be a crazy action scene. Uh, I kept waiting on it to make a misstep, and time and time again, it confounded my expectation yeah. and made no such misstep. And I have so much admiration for, for that. And Kelly Wand, I, f I feel that if, if they had shown some, if they'd even shown him getting shot, like, again, I loved how dispassionate it was. We never actually see him get shot. You know, right. we just see them shooting in the dark. We see how cautious they are, how meticulous, how ruthless they are. It's not about... The body count, it's not about seeing the, the, the wounds, it's not about, you know, looking at his face when he's dead. Um, it is, though. It's They take photographs of it, and yeah, but it, they don't, she but opens we're the not body seeing back. That. Well, we're not seeing that. Right. But, but, Tom, I want to push back on this dispassionate thing you're uh -huh. saying a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um because I'm curious about, because I don't, I don't necessarily feel the same way. Um, I definitely feel it's not uh, sentimental. Mm -hmm. 
Like, for instance, uh, th- one of the things, and I love what you just said about it, n- it not going wrong, because that's what I was feeling as I was sitting there. When are you going to go wrong? And there's that moment when Jessica, not Jessica Chastain, but the character Jessica, played by Jennifer Ely, after she's, oh, God, I so love after her. she's uh-huh. killed. Yeah, I love her, too. And you I hear her this. First. I loved her first. When did you love her first? Contagion. Ah, nice. <laughs> nicely done. Um, and you hear, the, I think it's just a, a news report in the background saying um, a, a former official said that she was a mother of three. That, that's just something that skips by in the background. And what I realized was we never had one of those awful scenes where she's on the phone with her kids and saying goodnight and right. we're going back and forth, which, you know, I don't know if you would call this a failing of Hurt Locker, but Hurt Locker definitely showed those types of things, like family things going on. Uh-huh. And this movie never slipped into that. So uh, while I I think that it doesn't slip into like a sentimentality like that, uh, I don't understand the word dispassionate because of how Maya is such a passionate driving force in this and how there's so many human passions going on, especially in that stuff with Dan and Amar uh-huh, sure. and the other stuff. So I'm curious about the word dispassionate. I, I mean that from the perspective, not of the characters, but of the storytelling. You know, there is no, there really is no opinion in this movie about torture is right or wrong. Uh, you, you know, when Mark Strong comes in and has that awesome, you know, mid-movie chew-out scene where oh. he delivers that line that ends with, uh, and I wrote this down, what is it? That ends with, uh, bring me people to kill. Bring me people uh, to kill. That, yeah. that line, though, what, what is so important about that scene is that that line is delivered with the same sort of subtext as a guy telling his sales force to get the numbers yeah. higher or I, I want the monthly production figures improved. I, I mean, the movie it just looks at the process and it doesn't, you know, when that I want you to bring me people to kill, that's a that's uh, you, I, as audience members, we're really taken aback by the line, but not because the movie has highlighted it or drawn a circle around it or hit the sort of blackness of it. You know, this is no Doctor Strange love. it's no in the loop. Uh, the the it is not highlighting the absurdity or the black humor of it by dispassionate i just mean it's just about people doing their their jobs and they care deeply about these jobs okay okay um and i would say so dingus you mentioned hurt locker one of the things that i've sort of uh been turning over in my head since having seen zero dark 30 is the parallel the connections to hurt locker which were of course written and directed by the same two people uh mark ball and and catherine bigelow uh the continuity I see with the Hurt Locker and what really, I think, comes through Zero Dark Thirty, um, Hurt Locker was about what kind of man is it that seeks out uh, war? You know, mm-hmm. what does war do to a person and what is that person like who keeps throwing himself into it over and over again? Uh, I, I feel that ultimately um, Zero Dark Thirty is what kind of person throws herself into what, what we call the war on terror. You know, what does it do to a person and what does it take to really throw yourself at that kind of tedium and frustration uh, at, at, at you, you, you know, the this constant decade. failure for a decade? Yeah. Uh, and this is what, you, you know, the movie is so focused on Jessica Chastain's arc and her performance. Uh, but looking at that, what I would call from that, there's this great moment where after the bombing of Camp Chapman, uh, she says... I believe I was spared so I could finish this job. Right. And, and it, the movie is about how it takes a sense of, of destiny and purpose 
And even if there's folly there, even if you're just a normal person, you know, it, it takes this this incredible drive, almost superhuman drive. Um, and I think the movie is just like Hurt Locker was about Jeremy Renner's character. I think this is about the identity of this Maya figure who, of course, is, is partly fictionalized. There was a real woman she was partly based on. Uh, but she's kind of, um, you know, the word Maya, by the way, I love that name. It, it's Hindu for an illusion. Uh, you know, I, she's not. There is a historical personage, but but I think Mark Boal and Catherine Beagle have been very clear about all the stuff that's attributed to her is basically a composite of a, okay. of a lot of intelligence officers. Um, hmm. So so, but what I feel about it's about their drive. You know what what makes them do this? What makes them endure this? And and ultimately, thankfully, prevail. Um, yeah. And I love that tenacity. Although that's a huge part of it. And it's not it's not smarts. I love James Gandolfini's observation in the elevator. We're all smart, Jeremy. You know, when he said, <laughs> I loved that. I mean, I loved how how it just and again, this is kind of what makes it dispassionate. How they're just human beings, you know, uh, but she's got to be the best human being. She has to know how to read. She has to know how to play all these different kinds of human beings to get what she needs from them. And she has to she has to sort of adapt and evolve and uh, yeah and and endure. I mean, there's just so much of a sense of perseverance here. Uh, you know, uh, all the stuff about her drawing the numbers on uh, on the, the window and, and stuff like like I think all of that that a lot of that was partly dramatized because you know there wasn't any reticence about this place. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of dramatic liberty taken with this, and I'm fine with that. Just like I was fine with it in Hurt Locker, uh, as far as like making a compelling narrative telling a cool yeah. story um i do love characters like that and i love when i find real life instances of it i always find them kind of inspiring yeah. i was fine with it here too because to me it felt seamless in a way that you know and I, I know all three of us really liked argo and i realize it's tonally a a much different movie than this, and I, and I would say a little more uneven. Um, but I, I could see the seams in Argo. I could see, okay, that's a composite. This is clearly, <laughs> this is clearly a dramatization. This probably never happened. And then I went and looked up those things, and all that's true. And I, in the end, it didn't bother me. I, I, ben Affleck's free to take that dramatic license and, and go with it to make a movie that's exciting and compelling. That's fine. But I never felt, and this is you know partly a, a difference of experience, perhaps, or, or just uh, sure-handedness. I never felt the the sense of Catherine Bigelow or Mark Wall um, of those scenes of of the things that were created or the things that were mocked up uh, I just never I never felt that I just I constantly felt swept along by this movie and just so it's just so compelling and unbelievably just dramatic it, even though you, you you know you use the word dispassionate and you talk about it as a procedural and those things are both true now that you help me understand what you meant by dispassionate. Um, but I never felt like I was at all detached from it or watching a procedural. I don't know if that makes sense. I just I just constantly felt swept along by it. Because I mean, that's a genre, Shaq. Like, it's more than that. Yeah, and it's almost a shame. I mean, as far as procedurals, it's not... You know, Dingus, it kind of reminds me in a way. It's not... By being more about the process, by being more about the frustration and the tedium of espionage, it doesn't have the dramatic pull, of course, of United 93, but it, it, 
it really strikes me as kind of this odd companion piece. You know, United 93 is this uh, Paul Greengrass's cinematic reconstruction of what happened on the, that flight. And it's it's something that we as a country experienced. Uh, it, it taps into our, our feelings about what happened. Um, and that's the same, you know, this is the same thing here, except for the 10 years afterwards. You know, how do we process? How do we deal with it? What was going on behind the scenes? Uh, it was kind of like, uh, okay, now the nitty gritty of dealing with the aftermath comes up. What happens over the next 10 years? Uh, that's kind of, and, and that's kind of why I talk about it as an experience. Uh, you know, it's something that you bring your own baggage about how you felt in the last 10 years, about how you felt about Osama bin Laden getting killed, for instance. Um, you know, and the movie isn't trying to tell you how to feel about that. It's showing you this, and it's letting you kind of re-experience your own feelings. Um, and I think that's a really important point, Tom. And I and I, I wasn't sure how I felt at the beginning about us starting so early in the process and watching that whole detainee section with... Um, Jason Clark, uh, he plays Dan, I think. And, but I think that's so important for us to watch that whole, uh, not only her character arc, as she, as she's dealing with getting used to that and becoming a part of it, but our arc as ourselves yeah. and as a country in how we got from there to here. Uh, I think that is incredibly important, and that's why I, I not only like this movie, but I also think it's a really important document. That, I, that's kind of one of the things I wanted to present to you guys, is how do you, do you think this is in, like, capital I, important movie, and, and, and why? And I, I agree with you, Dink. It's just, uh, like, it's a document, uh, you know. Uh, and actually, so you touched on the torture thing. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, so there, there has been some controversy about the movie. Uh, saying that it implies that torture was effective in ultimately giving us information that led to uh, the, the finding and killing of Osama bin Laden. So there's been some controversy and criticism leveled at the movie. Uh, Mark Boyle and Catherine Bigelow have said, we really, that's not what we intended to do. Um, how did you guys feel about the representation of torture here? Did it bother you? Do you think... Uh, do you think it should have been done differently? Do you take any issue with it? It made me want to look up what, how, uh, how much of that was true. Because in, in the movie, it does imply that they got answers. Because there's a scene where the guy says the name of someone that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I didn't research that before we did the podcast. <laughs> but I thought you'd tell me because you're the smart one. And I'm just the uh, clown prince. <laughs> well, Diggis, how did you, how did you feel about the portrayal of torture? Um, I felt emotionally, I felt embarrassed about it, uh, mm -hmm. because it was done in my name. First of all, those things happened. There's no way around that. And I think it's important for us to see it. And I think that, um, people like me who are more liberal and, uh, were always against that, uh, against torture and called it torture and not enhanced interrogation or whatever other euphemism you want to prefer. Uh, we're always very quick to say, uh, of course, anybody will tell you anything that you want to hear under waterboarding or any other form of torture. And as somebody says in the movie, I mean, uh, I, I can't tell you something I don't know. Um, but I'm sure the fact, the fact is that people did get information out of torture. Now, as you see over the course of the movie, the payoff comes 
in a far different way. Uh, you're not going to get the immediate payoff because of torture, or we didn't. But for me, what it what it speaks to is um, the the way we acted like infants at the beginning of the quote unquote war on terror, and the way we've grown up over that time. So mm-hmm. we were acting like toddlers and punching people and throwing a throwing a tantrum <laughs> and trying to get our way that way. And sometimes toddlers get their way when they throw tantrums, but ultimately. Uh, that is going to work against them. And that's why somebody like Dan says, I have to get out of here. I can't do this anymore. Uh, and it and it is a moral drain on him and on the country. So it's embarrassing, but I, I don't think you can shy away from the fact that that it's biological. As I think Dan says, it's biology, bro. Everybody breaks sooner or later. I mean, I, I don't like to admit it, but some of those things probably worked. It it would have been better if we hadn't done that, but we had to go through that infancy. I, I love the way that you describe that, Dingus, because, again, as a procedural about the last 10 years, as a, a, a important document, as you, you called it, and I agree, it's important that we show that torture was a part of what we did over the past 10 years. Um, but I do want to say... I definitely side with Catherine Beagle and Mark Boal when they defend the portrayal of torture in the movie. Um, because, again, I, I feel that part of what the movie does so well is it doesn't have an opinion. The movie is not observe, it's not creating an opinion on torture. It's just showing us that it happened. It is showing it as this messy, inefficient, and dingus, that word embarrassing is so perfect because it wasn't played for like lurid shock value or oh how horrible it just felt embarrassing and degrading um and and it it was one aspect of how we gathered information and considering that this movie is about the gathering of information that led to killing osama bin laden it can't deny that that was part of it um but what the movie does not do and i feel this is just as important is it does not completely disavow the value of torture, uh, you know, whether or not we got any information from that. And while I feel that completely disavowing, disavowing the value of torture is the politically responsible thing we need to do as a nation, I don't feel it's something the movie needed to do. Ah, very good. Uh, the, the, the movie was a procedural about what happened, and, and part of what happened was that we brutalized people. Uh, and the movie is very clear, by the way, in showing that most of the time when you brutalize people, they're just going to mutter days of the week. You know, nothing is going to come from that. And we got lucky, maybe. You know, and, and by the way, the people who, uh, like John McCain, who are opposed to torture, have, have clearly stated there is no information we got through torture that we didn't also get from other sources. Yeah. Uh, and I think the movie, again, is, it, it is not saying we would not have caught Osama bin Laden if it weren't for torture. It is simply saying that torture corroborated one data point. That's what's going on in the movie. Uh, and I feel that that's what people who are against torture in this country have also tried to point out. Yes, torture sometimes gave us good information, but we got it from other places. And another thing, the movie is so clear, it's showing how much more effective it is to get information from someone when you're having lunch with him and showing him kindness. You know, when you're just playing these little mind games about, you know, I'm your friend, do you want a cigarette? Have some hummus. Uh, you know, that one scene where they're having lunch with that guy... Uh, and, and sure, he, he, of course, was mentally broken down at that point. Um, 
but I just feel that brutalizing people was was. I, I don't feel that the movie is condoning torture. Uh, I disagree with people who criticize the portrayal of torture in the movie. Because yeah, if it uh, wasn't in the movie, then they're whitewashing it. So ex- ex- exactly, yeah. Um, I wasn't aware that there were people who were accusing the movie of that because I don't. I just don't see that. I everything you just said is is spot on as far as I'm concerned. I I haven't listened to those interviews or read the things you're talking about, but it's it's clear that the the movie isn't doing that. It's just showing what we did. And yeah. are are we supposed to pretend that didn't happen? It was interesting to me. Like I didn't know. It was the same thing as as Passion of the Christ showing the crucifixion. Like this is stuff I don't get to see. No, I. Uh, Techniques. I can't. I, uh, and it's also their job. Like that's that guy's job. He gets up in the morning to. Let's let's talk about that guy, yeah. Jason Clark. Holy cats! God, he was. Thank he God, was, I got to see him in something besides Lawless because he's great. Who he, was he in that? He was one um, of the brother. He was the the guy, low, never, the renegade uh, brother in Lawless. Yeah. What else have we seen him in? I, I've seen him around before. He's. Do you he's guys? Great. He's a, he's another one of those freaking Australians coming coming over here and taking our jobs. Fuckers. <laughs> but he was so fascinating, and not in that typical "I'm the evil CIA guy" way, right. and not even in that typical "Whoa, I'm the wacky, shaggy-headed, bearded CIA guy." I mean, hey, he was like a, the guy from Creed, like the guitarist. Hmm. No one. <laughs> As I was saying. Well, but I, I loved his arc too, and the fact that yeah. he, he wasn't. It was just, unexpected. It was I felt so like unexpected. she did. Like, wait, he's he's sick of it, and yeah. that was. It also helped. It's like she's the one who stuck it out, and he's the one who cracked. Yeah, it's like yeah. that's part of her thing. Yeah, yeah I love God, this movie. Yeah. What what a fascinating performance, uh, and and what a great entry point for for us as the audience. You know, we yeah. start with him. He yeah. introduces us to Jessica Chastain. He fades away, and we're just with her for a while. They loaded it though, because like they we hear the nine eleven stuff. I'm a little crayless too. Like we don't see the towers, and I've noticed this is a thing, and that was true in Fahrenheit nine eleven. I've noticed like now it's just audio of nine eleven. Like the, the imagery is now too intense for us to see. Well, I thought about that, Kelly Wan, and I think a, a bit of what's going on there is that this is a movie about what we learn from overhearing things, uh, from from being witnesses uh, and listeners to people who don't know we're watching and listening. And they don't know they're part of history yet. Right, right, exactly. And and so that poor woman who, and geez, I don't, I mean, I I don't know if that was actual audio tape, if that was an actress, um, but, but just the act of sitting in the dark listening yeah. to that poor woman, just the fact that we have one little human data point. Yeah. leads us into this movie you know it is very personal it was uncomfortably intimate um it was relatable yeah yeah and then what it and, and then the mat and then there's a procedural even then because you hear the operator going ma'am okay i've lost her yeah yeah but then yeah. she breaks down like the operator loses. and then also it's like when jessica chastain's like she cries when the job's done like that's her thing yeah um but you go from that phone conversation right to uh, Jason Clark. It's like, yeah, fuck that guy up. And that again, that's uh, that's the sense of you know you bring to the movie your own baggage, right. your your own your own feelings. Well, that's yeah. yeah, that's where that guy was at. Though. But it's, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say I didn't realize until you said it that this movie was in production before the raid, and I just was trying to pawn. I was just thinking like what the ending would have been. Like, you, you invoke the conversation, but would it have been that conversation-y? 
Like, well, I mean, just if you think about if 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 it's been you know ten years since nine eleven and we've gone yeah. through all the crap with Iraq and it's basically complete like like one of the things I love about this movie is it's not just a movie about espionage post nine eleven but it's right. a movie about espionage post Iraq uh, and and those are two especially the just the the huge clusterfuck of Iraq that is such a huge important point on what these people were going through you know what we did what not we what the freaking bush administration right. did to the intelligence community you know they Ugh. they basically throwing them under great. a bus uh, and, and that you know i feel like that's an important part so but Abu Ghraib was an interrogation stuff it was just fucking frat boy hillbilly bullshit right but if we had not had a badabad if we had not had the killing of osama bin laden to end this movie i can only imagine what it would have been like and how uniquely frustrating it would have been uh it is phenomenal to see how damaged they all are you know you know james gandolfini has that line where he says they're all cowed um, and and I loved the way that Iraq is invoked in those scenes where, well, you know, this is 60 percent. Well, the, the percentage that we had on WMD was higher than that, and this isn't as high. And the the way they just invoke that, the, the way uh, somebody will say, well, I was responsible, you were responsible for this, or you were responsible for that as far as Iraq is concerned, and that's sort of a bit of embarrassment, and they, yeah. they appear to be broken by it. Yeah. And I love that point you just made because this is part of the healing process process i guess um because they they appear to be broken and yet they still are having their jobs they yeah. still debate the philosophy like i just wonder how if you have if you there's even a, a possibility that he's that you could get him like why you would like when he's talking to stannis you guys don't want to stannis. i think of him as mal <laughs> yeah i think of him as mal too it's like i'm so glad you have more lines <laughs> So we're talking about Stephen Delane, who is in a movie called Forty Inch Chest, uh, but Kelly Wand doesn't remember that because Kelly Wand is a Game of Thrones fanboy. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a number in the movie title I can't. Uh, so uh, how about Mark Duplass's? I know uh, <laughs> that was a little uncomfortable. For I me. heard people giggle around me, and I went, "Yeah, sister, sister!" Like uh, I got excited. <laughs> But then I wondered if they were thinking of Hump Day. <laughs> and never mind. But it was, you know, it's it's interesting He's that... You've got the Spalding Gray part, the swimming akimbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, here's one of the things that I really want to call out. And I just, I am so happy for Catherine Bigelow because this has got to be her deal. Um, the fact that this not, is a movie for a while about two women... Um, and that her gender is never once called into question. You know, it's never once a source of anyone saying anything snide or doubting her. And when we're introduced to her, the only thing that's that's brought up, Kyle Chandler says something about her age. Uh, I love that. You know, I love that, and this was actually when, when Camp Chapman was bombed, there actually were two women there. You know, I love that Jennifer L's character, and they've got that really cute blonde CIA operative yeah. there. Um, two. You know, pardon? Isn't there one, there's a cute blonde with Jennifer L.A. Yeah, yeah, there were two women killed when the, the uh, double agent uh, suicide bombed Camp Chapman. Um, what about when Mark Duplass goes, oh, you should sit back there for the Gandolfini scene? That's kind of a little... Boys sit up here by the map. I don't think that was all. boys sit up here by the map. As inter- 
inner circle. You know, the mid-level bureaucrats now are taking over. You know, the people who are closer to the ground, you have to sit over, over there. I think the it was wall. both. I don't think it was because she was a, okay. a woman. Uh, well, and that's one of the things I really liked is that nobody was, you know, nobody's gender. It was this, you know, the 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 movie portrayed. It, it was about two women for so long, and I loved that. It was about their relationship. Um, yeah, there was friends. only one line when I when I almost heard uh, when it almost felt like there was a not sexism but but a reference to the fact that she was good looking, and it might have just been me guessing. Um, and that's when she's sitting behind the glass, and and Dan and Kyle Kyle Chandler is that his name? Yeah. Walk up, and and uh, Dan just sort of says offhand, "Was I lying or what?" And I got this feeling of <laughs> of it being good. like he had said, "She's super hot," uh, but or she's a ball buster. Um, but this is just him introducing her. And other than that, Tom, I think you're absolutely right. There's not there's none of that. And they do talk. I mean, the thing is, too, it's part of it being dispassionate, I think, is they're just humans. You know, when Jennifer L. is asking her about uh, Jack, you know, when they're having dinner at the, the hotel before it gets bombed, and she's saying, you know, have you ever hooked up with, with Jack? You know, it's they're not denying that she's a woman and there could be inter-office romances and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's just like something you talk about when you're off the clock or, or yeah. whatever. Uh and that is kind of the, how all those conversations taper off, too. Yeah, you know, I work with them. Uh, you know, so? Uh, <laughs> you either feel it or you don't. Uh, I, I will back. say, I, w- I actually loved these touches, but I wonder, too, if they were maybe a little too girly. Or it, So Dingus has talked about a movie, I don't want to spoil, where when a certain character who may or may not have something to do with Zero Dark Thirty, is leaving the house. He tells His wife tells him, don't forget the milk. In this movie, the character then dies, and Dingus is convinced that the don't forget the milk line tips the fact that the character is going to get killed. I was too slow. I didn't catch that. Dingus is way smarter than me at telling what's going to happen in a movie. Dingus, did you see any don't forget the milk lines with Jennifer L's character? Uh, I saw yeah. the, the, the letters BRB. <laughs> What's up? Talk to me. Answer me. And I liked, too, that was kind of like like two girls chatting. I'm not sure that the movie, that that would have worked like between two dudes. I, I don't know. Uh, but it was very uh, just kind of touching and girly and cute. And the fact, too, that Jennifer L. made a birthday cake. Uh, those, I mean, I, I also, as that was coming up, because I remembered, by the way, hearing about that, because uh, when it happened, all you heard was there was a suicide bombing in Afghanistan that took out seven CIA agents. And I remember hearing about that, and you got to wonder, holy cats, what was going on that one suicide bomber managed to get seven CIA agents? So that that was just, you know, that stuck out of my mind when it happened. So as we were getting closer to that, I was like, oh, geez, we're going to see that, aren't we? That's what they're setting up here. Um, so I, just because I remembered it happening, I could sort of see it coming, but I thought making the cake and the little chat stuff was very much a don't forget the milk moment for me. <laughs> well, and she goes, oh, we can't meet in whatchamacallit because that's their turf. So we got to do it at our base. Like there's a protocol, like we won't get, we don't get suicide bombed if we go in the city. Right. And that's really what happened too, is they, you know, a, a double agent that he just, he could get in without being searched and. Uh, so he came in at one point. But if they go, oh, he's the source. I don't know. There's got to be a better way. Uh, I wonder if that's that how it happens. Time. Because that moment where she gets, 
whiplash to call off the guards. I just can't stand thinking about that moment. It's just so awful. Well, that is how it happened. I mean, this this guy they they trusted this double agent enough to where they wouldn't they weren't searching him at the gate. And after he'd had a few meetings with them, he came in at one point with uh, I think a vest and and detonated it while they were standing around ready to search him. Yeah, like they weren't searching him until he was inside the base. Um. It's just so brutal because she's so excited and this is her moment and she's she's brought this guy down and she's so nervous. I mean, the way Jennifer Ely or however you say her name is playing that is perfect. Um, She's excited. She's professional. She's tough. um, And you and you see like in the texts with Maya, how excited she is. And uh, and then to have that. Oh, my God. I just hate thinking of that moment where the guy goes, where the guy tells everybody to stand down, and then that happens. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, so let's talk about the uh, the uh, conclusion then with the uh, the the SEAL team. Um, so because we did get Bin Laden, so they they after that happened, uh, they went back, they rewrote stuff, they added this scene at the end. Um, Dingus, you called it one of the. Uh, what did you say? One of the like best payoffs of the year, or what, what, what? I forget what you called it. Obviously, this worked very well for you. Uh, talk about that ending. Uh, I I can't. I could barely sit still during it. It it's so beautifully filmed, and I don't know if it's. Would you would you say it's Would you say it's shot in real time almost? I mean, it feels oh, yeah, like they were that. only down there for it. It was literally for the amount of time they were on the ground was pretty much the running time of that scene. It went that quickly. Yeah. I love the way it's shot. I love the it's so much of it is in low light. Uh, I love the sound of the helicopters and the dust. Um, there's I think it is per, I think it's a perfect a perfect action scene for this movie, but as a payoff and uh, and I hate saying that because it sounds like such a a glib way to talk about a movie that I think is more important than that. Because payoffs just sounds so lousy, but to get to that moment and have it shot in that way, uh, and and to put a few actors that I can identify with, not just some anonymous guys, but but and not stars either, but something in between that give us weight and give us a feel of personalities, and to work through the. To be able to show us both the confusion of what a raid like that would be like, but never make me feel like I don't know what's going on from the soldier's point of view as well as they know it. I just think that the Catherine Bigelow has such a sure hand with that kind of thing. Uh, I couldn't stand it I, in, in the best possible way. The, the music, the way it's done, the low lighting, the switching back and forth between yeah. the low light and the night vision. The dialogue, too. Yeah, exactly, Kelly. The dialogue, the way the, the soldiers deal with each other Completely and touch, touch each other. And touch oh, I love that. I love that procedural thing. So I saw this, I don't even remember the name of the movie, like direct action or active valor or some stupid like action's good (laughs) it was some stupid (laughs) propaganda movie that was shot with with real active duty soldiers forget the name of that stupid thing but i I was so fascinated they had a few decent action scenes and i just love watching the men move around and and sort of gently grip each other on this the shoulder i mean there is something so uh not 
sexually tactile. That's the word. I was going to say sensual, but, but the word I'm looking for is tactile. Well, intimate. It's, it's intimate. intimate. Yes, yes. And it's not like a quick like pat on the shoulder, but it's this this soft <laughs> squeeze on the shoulder to show that they're moving behind each other. I just love watching the procedural of that. Uh, and, and intimate, too, like... Also, how many of them would like crowd into a, a, a small room and how many of them were like waiting at the front gate and yeah. these kind of layers of the different teams working together. And even before that, though, Dingus, you mentioned not being able to sit still. I was the same way. I mean, I, I it was it, it was literally breathtaking, that yeah. whole sequence, um, starting with those helicopters moving through the mountains. Yeah. Holy cats. Kelly, a hello crash. Yep. Okay, good. We're all good here. <laughs> but even just the way they shot that, that Kelly Wand, I, I, I want to invoke for you another movie that I know you and I both like, with two helicopters flying around. Uh, you, of course, Fox. remember Capricorn 1, don't Fox, you? Yeah. They're made out of paper, though, when they crash, I noticed, when on, on reviewing those helicopters. In Capricorn 1? Yeah. But they're, and they're also there. They're the bad guys. Like the helicopters are the evil uh, hunting, like like the flying monkeys from Wizard of Oz, whatever. SUVs and Twister carry always. Right, right, exactly. And they, they turn and look at each other. And, uh, you know, they play a lot with the helicopters, the bad guys. Here, this sense of these helicopters as avenging angels was... Again, just breathtaking. Watching these things move up on the city uh, and the sound. And, uh, God, that was just... Uh, yeah, I, I loved that. All of that stuff, like like. And the Pakistan one is like the. It was coming in slow, but like insectile. The yeah. Pakistan helicopter. Yeah, you don't like that. I you like Pakistani. That. I don't think there was a Pakistani helicopter. Uh, maybe I misread what I saw. Well, so they brought it. So, so uh, by the way, and, and another thing too, I just loved how you know they reconstructed the compound. Uh, which I, I don't know about you guys, but you know, just the shape of that thing. I've certainly like seen the diagrams and reading about uh, the action and, and that porch with the little overhang on it. Uh, I, I just love how they reconstructed that and just how familiar it looks to me. Yeah. Having, having seen diagrams, uh, you know, it's like creating an iconic structure uh, for, for us to see there. Um, so, Kelly, well, Pakistan had nothing to do. So w- when we actually went in there, w- one of the things we were worried about was what if these guys get captured? You know, what if we can't exfiltrate? The, what, what if we can't do an exfiltration, as uh, Ben Affleck would call it, uh, <laughs> and they get captured? You know, what if the Pakistani military comes in? No, no, we I had, know. We had troops, like, standing by, you know, for – for dramatic purposes, we see the helicopters leave, and Jessica Chastain is there in this quiet base, and that made a great shot, by the way. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we had Chinooks, I think, ready to go in and just drop more troops in there if we had to. Uh, uh, no, but I thought at the end they go, okay, the PAC Air Force is coming in. Isn't there some line like that? And yeah, then, yeah, well, so they're the sending F-16s. The right, and which, by so. the way, did not happen. So we we had uh, – th- they were basically planes we had given them with the provision that we get to monitor when they fly them. So we knew whether or not those were going to take off, and I don't think F-16s were ever scrambled. That that was, for me, the one moment of – like Argo. Argo. Yeah, exactly. That's like the one little Hollywood Argo moment. You know, we got out of there quickly because it was – 
you know, intent. We wanted to just be down there. I think they were down there for less than an hour. Like we wanted to land and get out of there quickly, not because F-16s were on the way. And that's kind of what the movie did. Uh, I want to know if in real life we really went Osama when they were in the room like that. Osama. I, I don't know, but I know the forgotten country Geronimo, Geronimo, Geronimo thing was real. Like I know that's one of the lines uh, that, that that was. What about thing. possible jackpot? Jackpot was what he was called. Yep, absolutely. He was called jackpot. Yep, that was his code word. So, uh. I, I, so along stages of the mission, you have a different code word for different stages of the mission. Geronimo was the very uh, ending of the mission. Yeah, we got him, and his code name on the mission was uh, jackpot. I thought I, Geronimo. Okay, didn't he I, die old age or something? Uh, the actual Geronimo? Yeah. I don't think it was meant to be historically accurate. <laughs> they, they don't have to choose nicknames. For yeah. <laughs> well, Jackpot I get, but Geronimo seems like it. Uh, and I love that uh, afterwards when we see the guy, you know, they didn't make that big a deal out of, like, who actually got the shot, but you see the guy saying, third floor. shot the guy on the third floor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's Nash Edgerton, isn't it? Is that Nash? So he got it. Joel Edgerton did get his brother in there. I noticed you mentioned that, Dingus. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but we're not we're not supposed to necessarily be able to pick him out, and and I love that guy's attitude. Yeah, wasn't he watching the OC or something? Osama bin Laden. I don't know that they got cable in that. Uh, no, I know, but on those videotapes, I thought he was watching like really dumb shit, like Wheel of Fortune. Wasn't that one of those? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what uh, kind of things he watched. Sorry, Tic Tac Doe. So, what uh, other movies, if any, did it remind you of? So, we've talked a bit about Argo, uh, Black Hawk Down, because it had Black Hawks in it, and it also made me like Black Hawk Down is such a. I, I can't help too but wonder how much do things like the the Black Hawk getting shot down in Somalia and the the huge screw up in the desert in Iran when we were trying to rescue the hostages like like I don't is that a shadow over what was going on for other people like it like when I see this mission being reenacted I can't help but think you know, the stakes are just like those kinds of things. Uh, I, I guess it's, you know what, helicopters in the Middle East being used to mount these daring raids. Uh, they usually go wrong because, like, the hostages thing went <laughs> wrong, and then Black Hawk Down went wrong. And so they probably went into this, like, all right, so I'm Bin Laden. And they lose. They do. One does go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have to blow it up so that they don't find... Well, well that's, they, that's one of the differences, I think, or one of the points of praise between this raid and, say the raid that we tried to execute to uh, rescue the hostages in Iran is that we basically had an, we had extra helicopters just in case. So, if you, But if you got to kill somebody, it's easier than rescuing them. But I like Turline where she goes, I just want to drop a bomb on it and want to use you guys. Well, you know, that was one of the plans. The reason we didn't do that, I mean, there were a Kids. few reasons we didn't do that. Nope. Uh, because <laughs> that doesn't we, stop us. We wouldn't have been able to identify the remains. Uh, right. That's a good point. Um, I think um, the unfavorable comparison for me, and this happened when uh, when there's that moment where the guys are trying to shoot her and she backs into the uh, area, is to the the uh, Paul Greengrass movie Green Zone, and how ham-handedly that movie dealt with all of the political intrigue of Iraq, and how well this movie and how well this movie handled it and never got melodramatic. Kelly Wan, can you believe Dingus brought up Green Zone? Ugh. That's right. <laughs> I don't remember the parties talking about, like, a certain part of it was bad. 
as you don't remember the part in Green Zone with the the monkeys and the ice cream. <laughs> I thought that was many steric goats. One two three, la, 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 la. One, Poor monkeys. I, felt, I killed, totally hate monkeys. They killed my monkeys. I couldn't believe that. That was awful. And I didn't care about the monkeys. I just felt bad for Jason Clark. He, he loved those monkeys. Uh, I got to say, I hope this movie wins just a boatload of Oscars. I just couldn't be happier with it. Good Lord. Uh, I wonder if James Cameron watches this. Look! <laughs> <laughs> he sits there and goes, she should have shot it in 48 FPS. <laughs> yeah. uh, so as far as uh, reactions afterwards, uh, we're out of spoiler territory. So if you're here for the 3 by 3 we won't spoil anything. Uh, how did your audience react afterwards? There wasn't as much applause as I was expecting, and I wondered if it was because there were rivals. Because it's, it, it's a studio screening, practically, because there's only three theaters. Got <laughs> it. You know, I don't know. Mine had a very uh, had a smat what you would call a smattering of applause. Like it, it was sort of like there was yeah. a, a weird sort of stunned applause, and other people started and maybe weren't sure if they should continue with right, the applause. Right, because you're applauding a, a movie about nine eleven or shootings or torture, and, and like, an ambiguous movie that ends with a question right. too. I mean, the the point, yeah. Uh, it's a good movie, so I felt weird. I felt I felt they sucked for not applauding more. So I applauded. There was a smattering of applause in my theater, and then people got out pretty quickly. And I did, too, because I usually sit through the entire credits, but I had been so tense for that entire raid, so unable to contain myself that I, I had to get up. Uh, I Dingus was, missed the uh, Easter egg at the end. Kelly Wan, why don't you she, tell him what he missed? Uh, she says she's going to Disneyland. Is she, does she have shawarma? And she drops a... <laughs> but, but the thing is, uh, what, I, what was cool is that all the way out to the parking lot, I heard people talking, uh, couples and, uh, and little groups of people, and a girl with her, uh, with her older mother or her grandmother, uh, talking about what things that really affected them all the way out to the parking lot. It was really kind of cool. I heard... Uh... As soon as the credits rolled, a guy behind me said to his friend, in a very disappointed tone, too, it's important to point that out, he said to his friend, I thought Carl, Carl Urban was going to be in this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was very, he was, felt very misled. He, he was, thought Dread was going to fuck it is the same same movie in a way. They're both siege movies. What? I don't know. Oh, yeah, he, he was not happy about that. Carl Urban. <laughs> he thought Carl Urban was going to. The casting was perfect. It was God, no kidding. In Dread. Yeah. Yes, in Dread. What movie did we talk about? I don't know. Moving on. Okay, let's do a three by three. Kelly Wand, what is this week's the, the three by three? Three, it's the three, three b- b- best. <laughs> Can you be a little more articulate? Yeah. Three best badly said lines by um, people who smoked too much weed before they got on the internet. I don't think that up. was. That's not the three by three I have. I had either. Oh. Did, now, did you say stammering or stuff? Yeah. Said stammering, right? He okay. said stammering. Yeah. Because right. stutter is an actual disorder, while well, stammering is just because you saw a pair of boobs. <laughs> well, uh, okay. I, think I did my list like, wrong. Let's do a Kelly Wand dictionary. 
Although I tried, that was what I did for my three by three was no boob, like because that's like, see that to me is what it. It's a misrepresentation of movies of like guys who go, oh, she's super to tut tut. Because it's like by the time the chick takes her top off, like that's the like then you don't stammer because you're over like the hard part, as it were. And well, something something's in your mouth by then. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, huh. Well, okay. Sorry, I, I apologize. I apologize. Wow. Uh, my challenge I set for myself was to not uh, include any uh, Woody Allen movies. Ah, that's good. That's a good idea. <laughs> Listen to Dickus today. All right, well, I'm introducing next 3x3, three three, so uh, I'll be going first. I'm um, introducing. Are you? No, I was being. Oh, no, because this is your week. No, Kelly Wand. Uh, Kelly Wand, leave me in charge of the procedurals. <laughs> Are those those nicotine patches? <laughs> JK. All right, my number three pick. I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you guys the line hmm. non-stammered. And ah. then you tell me what movie it's from. You ready? I like this. Here we go. My number three. That guy walked by, it was an accident. I was gonna give you like a nudge, like a punch, like a friend thing. That guy. Now imagine it being stammered though. Uh, Rain Man. Dingus, do you not know this one? No. What if the person stammering is named Michael Sarah? That guy walked oh. by. It was oh, nasty. Oh, super bad. Yeah, it's after uh, hitting poor Martha McIsaac in her breast. <laughs> uh, well, you better get used to it, sister. Yeah. I love that whole scene. I mean, he's so just endearing when he's offering to buy her liquor, and there's a lot of stammering there as well. Uh, he just Michael Sarah just does that nerdy stammering teenager stuff so pitch perfectly, uh, and I just love his little exchange with Martha McIsaac where uh, he's going to buy her liquor, and then he's going to chuck her gently on the shoulder, and someone bangs into him, and his fist lands right on her right breast. <laughs> And her cute little reaction. Uh, and he says, that guy walked by. It was an accident. I was going to give you like a nudge, like a punch, like a friend thing. And <laughs> it's just so adorable. They're pillows. <laughs> Those aren't pillows. <laughs> I know what you're doing, Dingus. All right, so that's my number three, a little Michael Sarah. And, and by the way, I just want to reiterate, watching bits of Superbad... I'm just more than ever so annoyed at, at Bill Hader and uh, Seth Rogen, the, the cop stuff in that. Oh. Please get that stuff out of an otherwise excellent movie. It's just every time that happens, it's like, oh, God, I was watching Super Bad. Would you guys please leave and let me watch the rest of this movie? Uh, He's so, you know, they, they, so you're anti-cops. Those cops. Well, they, they accuse themselves of cock-blocking, and they cock-block the movie. Exactly, Dingus. Right. Yeah. All right, uh, Dingus, what is your number three uh, favorite example of a stammer in a film or motion picture event? All right, this is uh, one that I've never chosen before. I'll do line from it, but and mm-hmm. I'm going to leave the stammer in. So hold on, hold on. The fact, Kelly, Wan, that he said he's never chosen it before, we can immediately rule out Rushmore, Midnight Run, and that, that Kevin Costner uh, Indian thing. That, uh, uh, what the frick is that? Um, what is that called? Uh, uh, Dances with Wolves. Good Lord. Okay, so it's not one of those three, so we know that, Shoots Kelly Wand. With camera. <laughs> well, the guilt trip, did he see it? I don't know. We'll find out. Dingus, is it? Give Couch. us the line. We now know some movies it's not from, so go ahead. All right. You doing the litmus configuration? Litmus configuration. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, I know that. Kelly Wand, what is it? Help me out. 
Uh, it's from that movie, The Litmus Configuration, by Lane Peter bang? Blatty. <gasps> right? No. Is it Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? It's something I've seen, and the Dingus is quoted many times. And Stroke I've... Race. He says he's never done it, so it's got to be Ghostbusters 2. Or Gremlins 2. Litmus Configuration. Oh, Dingus, I should know this, shouldn't I? Yes, you should, because I've done it many times. It's from Midnight Run, of course. Oh. Is he serious? Yes. Really? <laughs> oh, Sorry. I hate, I hate this 3 by 3 he trolled you. And he totally. He said something and he meant the opposite. That's not trolling. That's that's lying. But you're supposed to see through that. I know. I am. Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, they're probably all from fucking Midnight Run. I know. Yeah. That's not the name of the movie, Kelly. <laughs> that's the sequel. <laughs> all right. So, Dingus, explain your litmus configuration line, which is suddenly a lot less uh, fun. Interesting. I know it is less fun. I agree. And less visceral. So um, this is when Jonathan Mardukas, and I know Kelly loves it when I say the Seaman Beaumont. Seaman Beaumont. <laughs> JK. That's not how you talk at all. Seaman. <laughs> and Jack Walsh go into Something a bar. Wrong with my Seaman Beaumont. In New Mexico, and they need money, and so they pretend to uh, be looking for counterfeit bills. And in pretending oh. to look for counterfeit bills, um, oh, indeed, Jonathan Bardukas goes behind, uh, sends Robert De Niro behind the counter just to check to see if there's any counterfeit bills back there. And he tells him to do the litmus configuration. And so uh, the bounty hunter goes back there, and he takes a pencil and he licks licks this, and he does this little thing with the eraser to try to do try to figure out whether it's counterfeit or not. Really, they're just scamming. And he says, "Are you doing the litmus configuration?" He's very serious, and the bounty hunter's not used to this kind of scam. And he goes, "The yeah, litmus configuration." <laughs> so, Dingus, when you just say the line, and I know it's from Midnight Run, and I'm like, "Oh God, that's stupid." I just want to get to Kelly's pick. But then when you're describing it, I think, "Oh man, I should see Midnight Run again." That sounds awesome. Oh, you've seen it? Well, I saw it a long time. I, I'm, you know what? I've heard Dingus talk about Midnight Run longer than the cumulative running time of however many times I've seen it. Yeah. Um, but when Dingus describes something like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember that. That, that was awesome. I want to see it again. Uh, well, what's great about it is that Robert De Niro's comic timing is great. Yeah. You just don't yeah. think that about him. Exactly. So, there you go. All right. Wait, you don't consider him to have good comic timing in uh, Taxi Drive? <laughs> Touche. I mean, parents. No, meet the parents. Meet the fuckers. Meet the assholes. What's his last name in those movies? Parents. Parent. Uh, well, don't Robert they? Parent. What is his? La- what are the heir apparent? Meet the heir parents. Okay, one. No one cares. That's his last name. That's a good point. As opposed <laughs> to Midnight Run. Uh, What's your number three pick, Kelly Wan, for uh, favorite stammering in a movie? I'll do a line, and I'll put it on your list, but not Dingus's. Ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, your butt, your butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Oh, I wish I'd thought of that. That's, That's a good one. Wand. That's some vintage Kristen Wiig, isn't it? Yeah. Tell, tell us what it is. It's from MacGruber. When she tells Val Comer to stick as something where the sun don't shine, he goes, where would that be? He takes her gag off because she's tied up and hostage. She's all, uh, your butt. Your your butt your butthole. It's so he, cute. Yeah, yeah, she's, it's she's reluctant to be profane. Then he puts the gag back on her. <laughs> that was a waste of time. That was adorable. I think that was the first joke I like I saw that scene and then it made me watch the whole movie. Although nothing else in the movie was as good as that. But it made me no, like the whole movie. Now you're wet. That's that's good as well. 
Yeah, that's true. That's good too. The last uh, 20 minutes are good, but then like the first 20 minutes are not as good and then makes people mad at me. Like Dingus is mad at us for like Kelly Wand, uh MacGruber is like Zero Dark 30 in that it's a process and it's got to pay off and, and it, it, it has to have the you have to, it's an experience. It ends with to, someone getting shot in the face. You have to you have to experience <laughs> on. Oh no. Oh. I know that only happens in Zero Dark 30. <laughs> Anyway, MacGruber, what do you think of that, Dingus? Take that midnight run, you MacGruber naysayer. Midnight I was about MacGruber. to forgive that pick until you decided to compare it to Zero Dark Thirty. So now I hate it again. That's fine. We, we're used to you it's hating uh, MacGruber. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give you guys a line for my number two pick. I will not stammer, however, and you tell me, imagine the stammering, and tell me what movie it's from. Here we go. <clears throat> the line is... I don't want to cram in sex or guns or drugs or car chases or learning profound life lessons. No? Really? No one? Come on. I thought this one would be easy. Adaptation? Yeah. So this is Nicolas Cage's uh, Lunch with Tilda Swinton, where she is, uh, she's not his agent. Uh, I guess she's from a studio. I forget what the relationship is there. But she's, uh, she's, she's wanting him to do an adaptation of the book about orchids. Uh, and he's talking about it. And in this lunch, he's so incredibly nervous. It's early on in the movie. And he's stammering and he's neurotic and he's sweating. And she's so composed and well-spoken. And he's trying to express everything that he doesn't want to do in this adaptation of The Orchid Thief, this, this novel that he's been hired. But what he then says, that line, is everything that the movie adaptation becomes. Um, so I was just looking for great instances of Nicolas Cage stammering. Uh, I was thinking of like something from The Weatherman, or so I went back and was looking through bits of adaptation, and it basically is this great little caps encapsulation of the point of the movie. Uh, and I just love that line. I love that scene. I love his performance in adaptation. So that's my number two pick. I just changed mine. No, nope. Ellie <laughs> Wand, you cannot adapt your three by three to uh, while you're doing it. Can I Schenectady it? Mm. Tom hates me. I respect okay. that. Out of you. Er. All right. I guess that's just human nature. <laughs> wow. That's wow. way too obscure. Jeez. That was good, though, but obscure. Kelly Wand. Uh, Dingus, your number two is Rushmore, so we're just going to go on over to Kelly Wand for his number. My number one is <laughs> Dingus. All right, Dingus, give us a line from your number two. Uh it's Rushmore, though, but go ahead and give us which, a line. Which Rushmore quote is it? That's yeah, which stammering and Rushmore. suspense. All right, here's my, here's my number two quote. Whoa, whoa what? I hate, I hate doing this, and I hate this podcast. I hate this topic. I hate Tom. Wait a minute. Why am I getting hard with that? You introduced me to Dingus. In the first place. <laughs> it's like uh, you're a carrier, like the 28 weeks later, Dad. I'm a vector. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh, Dingus, I cannot. I don't think I've seen this movie. I, I can't. All right, you can hear the quote again. Here's the response. I'll give you the quote again with the response line. Okay. Well, well, what? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English uh, and uh, what? Dang, that's a good one. Kelly Wan, he's got us again. Wait, bad lieutenant? <laughs> Please. <laughs> I did think of bad lieutenant. I did think of uh, Harvey Keitel when they went to see the wolf in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. What ain't no country? Got it. For 
Go ahead and explain the movie, Dinkus, and the scene. All right, the name of the movie is Pulp Fiction. It is from 1994. And uh, Jules, Samuel L. Jackson, is asking Brett, who is played by Frank Whaley, uh, to describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. And Frank Whaley keeps going, what, 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 what? And uh, and Samuel Jackson keeps asking him uh, not to say what anymore. That's about it. Yeah, stammering can get you killed. That's <laughs> the point of that movie. That's a good one. Say what again? Go ahead, finish the line, Dingus. I'm not going to use profanity on this podcast because we don't do that. <laughs> we don't want an explicit tag on iTunes. Uh, Kelly Wand, what is your number two choice for stammering in a motion picture? Uh, okay, here's the line from it. Dingus won't know it, but you will. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, everything's fine. How are you? There's no stammering in that. Oh. Is there stammering? I don't know. I haven't seen that silly thing in forever. All Wait, right, Kelly Wand, what's... About Bad News Bears? Which uh, one? The remake? I don't know. Why don't you tell us what movie seven? it is? I is he trying be... to trick me into saying the line? Because I'm not going to do it. Well, let's what find line? out. Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick then? Now that you said the line, tell us a bit more about it. Uh, in Empire Strikes Back, when Han Solo's Stormtrooper and oh. tells them to shoot the thing. Dingus, do you have any corrections to Kelly Wan's number two pick? I think it's from Attack of the Clones. <laughs> He tells the commander, and then he shoots the commander through the intercom for giving him shit. <laughs> you notice that I don't say, I hate this podcast, and blame Tom for introducing me to you. Well, I did, though, so I'll take responsibility for that. That's true. I All right, apologize. Kelly Wand gets a Star Wars movie on the 3x3. Well played, Kelly Wand. Uh, is there actually stammering funny. in that line, though? Dingus, I'm going to ask Dingus this, because I think of him as the authority. Dingus, is there actually stammering? Does Harrison Ford stammer during that? Situation normal. Doesn't he say that? Stammering. I refuse to answer this question, since Kelly Wan's calling it Empire Strikes Back. I'm just not going to. Empire's the first one, where the Empire just... Oh, that's right. Kelly Wan, even <laughs> I know that. I, I had to think about it for a minute, but even, even I know. Tom. Yeah, so Dingus, is there stammering there? Because I had one and I'll mention it later because it's going to feed into my 3x3, that I was convinced was stammering. I went back and looked at it, and no, there was no stammering. Which part was that? You'll see. It's from another movie. You'll, you'll, you'll hear about this in a, in a little bit. But, but it wasn't but Star Wars. He goes, boring conversation anyway, but I thought, hey, that's not a boring conversation. It's pretty lively. So I, I, do, I, I do want to know from Dingus. Dingus, as a Star Wars authority, I think you can quote the entire movie backwards, is there stammering in that Harrison Ford delivery? Can you um, can you corroborate Kelly Wan's pick? You know, Kelly is the ultimate one who cho- who decides whether or not these things are allowed because mm-hmm. uh, it's his topic. But I would have to allow it because stammering isn't just repetition, but it's also involuntary pauses. Okay, fair enough. Kelly Wan, you 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 got off this time. Involuntary. You have to not... think what to say. Yeah, as opposed to like a pinter play. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, well, my number one pick, you ready for this? I'm going to give you guys a line. I will not stammer during the delivery of the line. You have to imagine the stammering and then guess what the movie is. Here we go. The line is, please don't tell my mother. Now, I might have broken the topic. Technically. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, I wait. Hold on. Is this this One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Very good, Dingus. Very good. Very nice, Tom. I like that. So Brad Dourif's Billy Bibbit is... But is is that stuttering or stammering? Well, that's the thing. Is it's... 
It's stammer. I would say that stuttering. No, hold on. I've got I've got some linguistic analysis here, Kelly Wand. Stammering. That was stammering just now. What you said. Thank you. <laughs> you can put that on your list. Yeah. Stuttering is a subset of stammering. If it bends, it's funny. <laughs> oh. So I do feel I did cheat a little bit because it is his condition. Believe that Cheating a little bit acceptable. Okay. But I do feel too that stuttering is a subset of stammering. Um, and Brad Dorif, I just, you know, it's so just the guy is so insane and crazy and just so many crappy movies these days. Uh, it's just Who is? Brad Dorif. Oh. It's so amazing to go back and watch those Billy Bibbit scenes when he's just so young and clear eyed and just that performance. I think he got an Academy Award for that, if I'm not mistaken. And wasn't that his first movie? Um, I don't know, but I love that you picked this because. I love lines where I, I can see the character's face change before the line that you just said. And that whole scene, too, is such a transformation. It's after he's just had sex for the first time, and then Nurse Ratchet catches them, and she's confronting him and saying, what if I told your mother? And just watching his face transform and watching him go from sort of sheepishly confessing what he's done and the other inmates applauding him to his complete breakdown, which leads to the, the tragic ending of the movie. Uh, it's it's just such a fantastic moment, uh, and he's I, I mean God, Brad Dourif is so gifted in, in many strange ways, uh, and it's so apparent in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, all right, so that's my number one thing. He anti stammers in Dune. <laughs> Fuck you, Wand. Is that Stop what talking. he's? That's what he's doing in Dune. Okay. I see him as playing the same character. But revive, but on the Sappho juice, oh, what Sappho juice does for you? Yeah. <laughs> I like that pick, Tom. I like it a lot. Thank you, Kelly. One, you're gonna. I'm glad you allowed it. I was worried I was gonna get into trouble. I like it a bibbit. <laughs> oh, jeez. Dingus, what is your number one pick for stammering? Uh, I hate me. All right, here's a here's the line here's the line in question. Oh, if 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 uh if if uh uh if if we oh if if oh. I don't, I don't know if Dingus was rapping or stammering. There's a little bit of a musical quality to that, Dingus. Wait, that might be my number one. Damn. What? You you boys fight it out. Is it Look, Life of Brian? No, it's not. But it's oh. close. Look, it's quite simple. You just stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I love that. Do that again, Dingus. <laughs> Oh, Look, holy grail. It's quite simple. You just stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. Life of grail. I don't, is it holy? Because it sounds to me like he's doing a Ray Winstone kind of thing. It doesn't sound like a Monty Python. I, yeah, I enjoyed I did, it as a Ray winstone thing. Yeah, my register was a little low. It is very Ray Winstone. He did Australian it up. <laughs> uh, so it is It is the king talking to his guards oh, God. in Monty Python and the That's Holy Grail. That's the third fucking time you've referenced that scene from Holy Grail. I have never referenced it, but thank no, you. No, no. It was uh, best. <sighs> Tom, back me up on this. Well, he did Holy Grail for the guy. Best old woman. Yeah. For Dennis. Yeah, that's no, a no, completely no. different scene. Yeah, um, no, 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 no. One of my college roommates, uh, a fellow named Jeff Bazzoni, used to used to do this scene verbatim all the time before I even saw the movie, um, because he had a sound. This there was this great soundtrack that was the soundtrack of the film, but it had all this extra crap on it, and so he knew uh, he knew the the scenes back backwards and forwards, and I love this scene where the the king. Um, 
who's played by Michael Palin, I think, is arguing with Eric Idle's confused guard, and he's just saying, look, you have to stay here in the room with the prince, because <laughs> the prince has to get married, and the prince doesn't want to get married. And so this is all this confusing of, like, oh, well, can we come with you? No, no, you, you stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. Can he leave the room with us? No, no, keep him in here. And so there's, there's one great stammering moment where the guard's like, if, if, uh, if, if, oh, if... <laughs> See, Dingus, you know what? So you say Monty Python, you say Life uh, or Holy Grail, and I'm like, oh, that's so stupid. I don't want to. I can't believe he's talking about and that he again. Does it. And then he's describing the scene, and I'm like, oh, I should see Holy Grail again. That sounds awesome. But is that him or Monty Python you're laughing? It's a combination of both. I also like the the son of that king is like, oh, the curtains, and he's like, not the curtains. So it's like he's got a son and two, like none of them know. So, Kelly One, you're not selling it because Dingus does it energetically. (laughs) You kind of sound like you're just vaguely mentioning some. You have to put some energy into it, Kelly One. I'm looking for myself. That's what this is about. Dead silence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kelly One, sell me then your your number one pick for stammering in a movie then. Uh, see if you can okay. make me want to re-see or see for the first time the movie that you're picking for your number one choice. Don't just throw it away. Don't don't be all non-committal. Just just dive in. Be energetic. Make me want to see it. Go. Uh, a lot of pressure. I realize. He's all in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's duh duh, sir. You can't hear. I forget the line, actually. That's my number one. Can't remember. All right, so that was that was an interesting attempt. Look, I'm not a professional writer. (laughs) I'm not a professional at anything, Tom. All right, well, what is the movie? And then I'll decide if I want to see it. Brian. Oh, it is. Oh, that's right. You even tipped your hand earlier. Okay. Uh, What's the scene in Life of Brian, then? Uh, I forget. It was that part... Where uh, the bald guy can't talk. Huh, okay. That uh, scene. I was at a work thing uh, recently, yes. and I, I, I was working with... That chick. Yes. Well, I was working with a, an English fellow who, while we were doing something, every now and then would say, and don't do it again. And he kept saying that over and over. And I was, I was like, what is he referencing? Is it from The Office or something? And I finally asked him after a couple of days of, and don't do it again. I finally asked him, what, what is that from? And I was like, oh, that's from Life of Brian. It's after the guy gets caught writing the graffiti on the wall. Uh-huh. And the Roman guard corrects his grammar and makes him write it over and over again. And then they cut to the next morning. And there's a whole wall covered with the sentence rewritten properly. And then the guard, I think it's... I want to say John Cleese says to him, and don't do it again. So he was just randomly quoting some isolated, it's not even really a punchline, just an isolated reference. That's not the funniest line. Well, that's that's what struck me is yeah. that, yeah. Uh, Everyone has their own idea what's funny. That's the I know, right? <laughs> but it really helps, by the way, to hear an actual English person saying it. That's what sold it for what me. What about what I did? That was cool, too. <laughs> That was so interesting. What you talking about. Right. How about me, coach? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tell Wan, the British guy what I said and see if he gets it. I will share that with him. Kelly Wan, do we have any uh, reader submissions and what Wait, are... Wait, runners up from Dingus. Let's do some reader submissions and then do, do runners up because my runners up leads into next week's 3x3. Three three. Oh. See? see? Not mm. interested. 
<laughs> you will be. You will be. Ooh, I see what you did there. See, I quoted... Uh, if he gets the word order wrong. I quoted Star Wars. <laughs> Paul Weimer, fourth Beatle, writes, Hi, guys. This was almost too easy a topic. See, I, as you can see, had trouble with my topic. <laughs> so he's wrong. <laughs> it's not easy. I will say, I just, I, this isn't like an official pronouncement, but I consider any three by three, anytime one of your three is a Star Wars movie, I feel that you've failed. <laughs> that is why I fail. Oh, nicely done. There is right. no fail. There is only fail and fail not. But right. back to Paul Weimer's three by three choices. Tom. Yes. God. If I don't get scooped on at least one of these three, he will be surprised. And none of them. Uh, he, so he's going to be surprised. Spoiler alert. Number three is a fish called Wanda. Oh. Ken and Otto. Very good. Stuttering. That's stuttering, right? And it's called stuttering in the movie. So Tom to go oh just goes to show. His speech impediment knowledge is subpar. It is a subset of stammering. You know, I'm surprised. Well, never mind. We'll, we'll get to it. Okay, so what are Paul's other two picks? Pants Labyrinth, where the stammering of a prisoner turns into a deadly bet with Captain Gore Vidal. For all the fairy tale monsters in the film, the captain is the scariest monster. I don't remember that. Is it the guy who gets attacked with a bottle? He stammers. That's his. what he dies for. Stammering of a prisoner turns into a deadline. I feel bad that I don't remember because I I love that movie. I've seen it many times, but I don't remember the stammering. So Paul obviously knows Pan's Labyrinth better than we do. Number well played, one, Paul. Shakespeare in Love. What? I know. <laughs> it's like a chick movie. Paul, all right, what's the scene? It's not a love. It's not a movie. It's a state of mind. The final sequence of the movie where the actor doing the prologue in Romeo and Juliet has been stammering throughout the movie and starts off the recitation with the stammer and then doesn't. All right, well, I'm glad to get a little John Madden on the list. He thought we were going to scoop him on that. The fish called Wanda, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Three stutters is what Jeff Sweet writes. I found this 3 by 3 to be a little difficult. See, they can't even agree on that. But I've made a commitment to myself to submit my own list each week. That's more than we do. Some of us. So here goes. Three by three, no country for old men. The gas station proprietor asks about the stakes. That's not a stammer. I remember that guy just, I just remember that guy being so kind of quiet and soft spoken. I don't remember him stammering. But you know what? Any, any, no country for old men pick, I'm happy with. That's what he writes. He goes, bit of a stretch, but I'll take any excuse to bring this scene up. All right, well, we'll play Okay. The King's Speech, Tom. Oh, my God. Kelly Wan's number one movie. That's Kelly Wan's number one movie for the year, and he didn't even pick it. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to reference a minute ago, because everybody said it was about stuttering, but then people eventually said, well, really, it's what he's actually doing is is stammering. That's his actual condition. It's the wind chill, not the humidity. And One Flip of the Cuckoo's Nest is his number one. Yay, all right, rock and roll, Jeff. Uh, Me and Jeff high-fiving across the internet right now. I wanted to include David Denick, Densick, Denkicks. Den- Tom, how do you say it? Densick, isn't it? Uh, 
It's not stammering if we can't mis- if we mispronounce it. It's just dumbness. But what did go ahead? What did Jeff have to say? It's seen on the airfield in Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy, but upon rewatching, there was far less stuttering than I remembered. Thanks. And that's all we had. <laughs> no one gave a shit about this topic except these two jokers. I thought the topic was fine. Uh, so. Uh-huh. There were things like that where I – so, by the way, I'm very surprised there was no Woody Allen because I was sure Dingus was going to throw some sort of Woody Allenism in there. Maybe it's uh, a fish-in-a-barrel thing, like just too easy. Right, exactly. Also, I'm surprised there uh, there was no Vince Vaughn on this list. He That's not stammering. It's more like nattering, isn't it? I guess stammering sounds like you're not – yeah, prattling. Yeah. Uh, so runners up then. What what did you fellas have for runners up? Monologuing, Eastwooding. Uh, when Porky Pig. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Dingus, did you have any runners up? Dingus. Here, here's my favorite involuntary pause. She's got a great ass. <laughs> so Dingus, what is that from? Nobody's gonna know that. That's Pacino. That's Pacino right. in in uh, Heat. Yes. Talking about Ashley Judd's derriere. He's about and to say she's got a big ass, and he catches himself before he fumbles the line. They're making us! <laughs> and that's the take they keep. <laughs> you can see him catch himself and stop. His lips, by the way, are poised to say big ass, but before he aspires through his lips to hit the b, he stops himself and changes midstream to say great ass. It's an amazing bit of work, and Hank Azaria knows it. <laughs> He's, he is there to witness it up close and personal. I love that scene. Her ass is fine. What's he talking? Why would it be big? That's the thing. Is it won't. He's about to say, you know, big. Yeah, he just. But whose ass is he thinking of? Presumably Ashley Judd's. We don't know what his method is. Maybe oh, he's thinking oh. of something else. But he's he's about to screw up the line and and he stops himself. And you see him go. Wait, there's a qualitative difference between great. <laughs> Yeah. You put your head all the way up it. <laughs> all right, well, here was my – this was going to be on my list, and then I watched it and realized, oh, there's there's no stammering. This doesn't work. Uh, let me give you guys the line. You don't even have to imagine stammering because there is no stammering. Dingus actually referenced this in the past week or so when we were hanging out, and I was worried he was going to scoop me. But there's no stammering, so I'm glad he didn't. Here's the line. He made me do it. He yeah, talked I, me into it. Yeah, Okay. Kelly Wan, do you know that? Mm. He made me do it. He talked me into it. Nine and a half weeks. <laughs> does, does he not say he, he, he? No, which I thought, and I looked it up, and one of the reasons I wanted to use this uh, is because he can say it out of fear or the fact that he's in cold water. Kelly Wan, can you imagine someone in cold water saying that? He, he made me That's do it. That's impossible, Tom. <laughs> Unless the water is at least lukewarm, I don't fucking know. So it's the scene at, in Jaws where the kids have been uh, dragging the fake fin right. around, and they cause a freak out, and then there's a shot of them, you know, the... the that wasn't your kid voice, though. Well, that would be, that would have tipped my hand. See, I was just going to give you the words, and you have to imagine the rest of it. Uh, so these kids get caught, and then one kid says, and he does, it's a... It's pretty much a he made me do it. Like, there's not enough stuttering there to be, or stammering for it to qualify, I thought, Dingus. And what happens is he talked me into it. He sputters some water because he's in the water and he gets some in his mouth. A sputter. So there's a sputter there. Sputter, stutter, stammer, spammer. If if the three by three was favorite sputters, you know, number one would be the water spatter. The water spatters and splatters. 
but anyway, so that's not a stammer. So I, I did not pick that. Um, but while uh, rewatching Jaws and just looking up stuff, Kelly Wan, I found out. I don't know if you know this. This could be common knowledge for everyone. I found out why Hooper survives in Jaws. Do you know the answer to this? Um, I don't understand the question either. So in the book, Jaws, in Peter Benchley's novel, uh, Quint gets killed, Hooper gets killed, and only Brody lives. Right. In the movie, of course, Quint gets killed, but then Hooper lives and, and Brody lives. And we've talked about before that about how... Which day it is. Right, and I, I sort of feel like that's kind of crappy. You know, why should Hooper live? I, I like this idea of it being an, an and I alone survived kind of tale. The least It's like Moby likely. Dick. Right, exactly. The least likely guy surviving. That's almost a staple of horror movies. Um, but do you, so I'm, I'm guessing you don't know this. Um, Hooper survived because when they had a second unit uh, shooting shark footage down in Australia, which gets spliced into the movie, they had a cage that was lowered. And at one point, a, a great white actually attacked the cage while it was empty. Yeah. And they got amazing footage of this great white ramming into a cage and turning over and basically savaging it. Uh, 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 Steven Spielberg saw that and wanted to use that footage. But if he was going to have Hooper get killed, he couldn't use that footage. Wow. So he saw that and he was because Hooper, where's Hooper? Why is the shark attacking an empty? But you cage? can't really see that. Like it's so murky, they could have. No, just you can. I think in that. Mm-hmm. I, I distinctly remember. Jaws the Revenge. They would have used. <laughs> You can completely see the shark is thrashing this empty cage, and you're like, where's Hooper? Well, he swam out, and he's hiding at the bottom. He's in the mouth of the shark. You see him swim out, right? Right, because they decided, let's use this footage, so we're going to write around the fact that the shark is attacking an empty cage by having Hooper escape. Um, I always go, wait, the shark's head stuck in the cage. That's when you jab it with your needle. But he lost the needle, so. He drops the needle, and he swims out after it's and then ramming the cage. Yeah. And watches his Brody uh, handles shit. So that's why, just because Spielberg, rightly, I think, fell in love with this awesome footage of this this shark that they got from a second unit, so Hooper got to live. That shark basically rewrote the script of Jaws. Uh, I also found out, Kelly Wand, the bit where Ben Gardner's head pops out of the the boat, that was added after focus grouping. Spielberg wanted there to be another, like, scare early in the movie. So they shot that at a swimming pool in the valley uh, and then added it after the movie <laughs> it was, was done. Uh-huh. That's, I think I agree with the focus group. So here is what I want from next week's 3x3. Three three. Oh. While I was reading stuff about Jaws, I can do this all day. I, I love reading about Jaws. I, lo- I love watching it. I've seen that movie probably more times than any other movie I've seen. I'm sure it's in the hundreds. Uh, one of the things I read was that while they were making the poster, the, the poster, that iconic shot of the shark swimming up under the woman swimming, that's from the cover of the novel. Mm-hmm. But on the novel, it was just a black field. It was more like a line drawing uh, the shark isn't as detailed. Certainly the woman is tinier. Uh, one of the things they did on the poster is they showed you the shark's teeth. Is They made the shark have a bigger mouth and you could see its teeth. It's worth looking up the cover of the book for just how kind of cold and not really frightening it is and how they doctored up that poster to show things like the, the teeth of the shark. The jaws, if you will. Uh, they, they made its mouth bigger. Like, its mouth is kind of closed in the book uh, cover. In the movie poster, they open its mouth bigger so you can see its teeth. They play up the woman's nudity. They play up the sense of speed of the shark swimming up. Uh, they even play up the, you know, they color it with this blue palette so uh, the water looks more inviting. The shark's also gigantic, too, in relation so it, to her. 
Isn't so it? it's it's this great combination of sex and violence and fear of the unknown and this idea that a, an inviting place is not safe. Um, and, and yeah, the shark is a lot closer to the woman and it's, it's bigger. Uh, it's a lot smaller and it's farther away in the, in the book cover. Uh, so I, I just remember that, that movie poster as a kid and what an impression that made on me. So I'm surprised we've never done this. Let's do favorite movie posters. Now, what I want from you guys, and, and I'm taking Jaws off the table, one of the all time great movie posters. Uh, what I want from you guys, I don't want you to just pick, you know, your favorite movies that happen to have cool posters. What I want from you are posters that are good in and of themselves and that tell you something about the movie, regardless of whether the movie is good. I mean, I can't imagine we're going to have crappy movies with great posters. Maybe we will. But I, I just want – I don't want you to just say, hey, this is a movie. I don't want you to just – like Dingus. I don't want you to just say, I love Midnight Run, so I'm picking the poster for it. I want posters <laughs> that, are, that, are, that are good. If Midnight Run, I couldn't tell you. If Midnight Run has a great poster, go ahead and pick it. But don't just pick it because you love the movie. The, the poster has to be good. Uh, no, this has got a clock face on it, and it's a 12, and there's a treadmill. I don't think that's the poster for Midnight Run. I could be wrong. Maybe we'll find out next week. Maybe it'll be on Dingus's list. Uh, so uh, that's the 3x3, three three, favorite movie posters. What's the one where the tuna fish attacks the aircraft carrier? That's Piranha, Mega Piranha, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a tuna fish, Kelly one. It's a piranha. Piranha, right. I get those, too. <laughs> What's uh, the one that Quiznos serves? I could not tell you. Wow. Don't pay an interest. Thank you, Dingus. <laughs> Stupid Tom. Uh, all right. So uh, if you would like to partic- participate, and we would love for you to send us your picks for favorite movie posters at 3x3. It's three by three, but with an X at quarter to three dot com. We next week would also like you to join us. Uh, see Django Unchained and then join us to discuss that on the podcast. Uh, uh, let's see any uh, bookkeeping. I think we're I think we're good. Um, so, yeah, any, any questions about the three by three? That seems pretty straightforward, right? It seems like one of those things where the listeners can send in the poster, but since we're just audio, like we're screwed. We will have to describe. We'll the have to describe it, right? Yeah. See, but we did pretty good at that tonight. I think you so. guys did. Yeah. So uh, join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Malinsky. Mal- Mal- it's actually Christian Moroski. Mm, I don't think so. And uh, Kelly Wand. Posters. <laughs> Poster. I don't even. Uh... Oh, mm, somber. Kyle, do you have a can anecdote for us? Did you have you gone to any insane haunted insane asylums lately? I'm in. I'm in your house. First off, fool. I wouldn't be in. I'd have to be in Canada for the Canada. Oh, but I got snowed in. I told you about that, right? I mean, snow came uh, down outside my apartment building, so I used the phrase stoned in to not go to work. Snowed in. <laughs> used what phrase? <laughs> snowed in, okay. But you said something else, right. <laughs> uh, do you have a Tahunga dough that beats that? Beats being snowed in. Sea of yellow. I don't think I can top I don't think I can top the poor guy being disappointed that Carl Urban was not in Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. Who told him? That? You have a, 
I don't know. I don't know where this misinformation is from. Uh, That's I something know. I would say. And then... But he would spend the whole movie waiting for, like, maybe Carl Urban shows up in the last scene. Like, he's the, uh, like, Chuck Norris walk-on in Expendables 2. I don't know. Were you disappointed that, like, Jeremy Renner wasn't in it, Kelly Wan? Do you you feel that that would have helped uh, Zero Dark Thirty? No. But is Jessica Chastain now going to take over all the franchises that Jeremy Renner was supposed to? Like, she's going to be Scarlet Witch in the Avengers. um, I'm just glad we're over this whole uh, Sam Worthington thing. Is that over yet? Is it safe now? Are we done with that? You had to say that, didn't you? Is there another Titans? Clash War. Reconstruction of the Titans. Well, (laughs) posters. I've seen too many guys naked.